how to become an essentialist, how to take back control of your decisions by switching the narrative from I have to, to I choose to, how to start spending our time in a way that's most important and most meaningful to us, how to not jump to conclusions too quickly when presented with new information and so much more coming right up. This is episode number two, two, nine with New York Times bestselling author, Greg McEwen. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm here because you wanna become the best version of yourself, but there are so many things that you need to do in order to get there. And because it's overwhelmingly complicated, it's easy to lose focus, it's easy to lose sense of direction, and that's why so many people fall short of their true potential. That's why I create videos, podcasts, and fitness programs to keep you on track to your best you. Go to nickcarrier.com to learn more. Today, I'm so excited to bring you the thought leader, the New York Times bestselling author, Greg McEwen. Right when I first heard about the book Essentialism a couple years ago, I bought it immediately. I knew it was something that I had to get my hands on, and it's been one of those life-changing books for me and for thousands and thousands of others as well. Get ready to learn what questions you can ask yourself on a daily basis to help you get focused on the right things and be on the path towards the disciplined pursuit of less but better. As you're listening, be sure to tag me and Greg on Instagram at carrier underscore best you and at Gregory McEwen. And you spell that M-C-K-E-O-W-N. Now, before we dive into the episode, I know Monday mornings can be the bane of your existence. I know it can seem so, so impossible to get motivated on a Monday morning, but not if you receive my Monday Motivation Trio 111 newsletter. Every single Monday morning, I send out one motivational quote, one inspiring video, and one killer workout to get your week started with a bang. Just go to nickcarrier.com slash 111-newsletter. Like literally pull out your phone right now. nickcarrier.com slash 111-newsletter to get this in your inbox every single Monday morning. Without further ado, here's to getting closer and closer to your best you with the one and only Greg McEwen. All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I am super fired up today to have the one and only Greg McEwen with me today. Greg, I just want to start off by saying thank you so much for spending the time with me today. It's great being with you. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. So Greg is the author of the New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestseller, Essentialism, one of my favorite books that I have on my bookshelf, uh, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. And and he's uh, among the most popular bloggers for Harvard Business Review. You're a public speaker, host of the Essentialism podcast, and um, excited to, to also learn about whatever new book you're working on right now. Um, <laughs> not, not to be released, so I'm excited to learn. Uh, excited to learn more about that. But the way I want to start today is kind of giving everybody a little bit of a frame of reference with your story. So back in 1999, you were in law school in in your home of England, and then you were inviting invited to a wedding here in the United States, and so. You came to the wedding and you wanted to make the most of your time when you were here. And so you spent a lot of time with teachers and writers asking a lot of questions and learning. And there was one particular person who you met with who kind of asked you the question, well, if you choose to stay here, if you decide to stay here, then let us know you can be a part of our consultation committee. And you kind of had a light bulb moment where you're like, wait. Like if I choose, what do you mean if I choose? Like I don't, I don't have the choice of coming here. Like I'm going to law school is something that I have to do. And when reading that and hearing you tell that story, I couldn't help but think how many people probably have that same exact thought of like, it's not a choice. It's like, I have to do this, whether it's a career, a relationship, whatever it is. I feel like a lot of people have that I have to rather than it's my choice, but it can be such an empowering thing to realize I have the actual choice whether or not I should do this thing. And so with that as kind of the, the frame of reference, I kind of want you to take that idea and, and run with it and, and talk to how people can start to adopt that idea of I can choose rather than I have to. Yeah, it's a, it's a great place to begin. Uh, I mean, a lot of us know logically that we can do something different than we're doing but emotionally we don't feel like we can. And, and part of the reason we don't feel that liberty is because of that language. I have to, uh, whether it's spoken or thought, I have to, it has a period at the end of it. As soon as you say, I have to, I have to do this meeting, I have to, it, the, the conversation's over, the thinking process is over, and so you're just going to continue with what is right now. 
if you can change the language to, um, to I choose to because if I don't, fill in the blank, uh, then you have a really key opportunity because once you fill in the blank, you can test what you've put in the blank. So I choose to be in this relationship because if I don't, what will happen? I choose to go to this meeting. I choose to, because if I don't, uh, we had it with a, with a, with a, uh, with a son, uh, we signed him up for a, for, for a baseball season and, and partially because of a, a little uh, friendly um, bet that I'd entered into with, with, uh, with a friend who'd said, you know, if I won the wager, then he would take my son every, you know, ev to every practice and back, you know, for me. So it was this like, you know, several months commitment. And in the end, uh, I, I won that. And so he was on, <laughs> he was on the, uh, you know, responsible for taking them. Uh, but right as the season began, my wife and I realized, well, just because someone's taking you doesn't mean we don't have anything. There's no, it's not like there's zero commitment for us. We've still got lots and lots of things that that will do to us that impact our life and his life and so on. And at first we thought, well, yeah, but we have to do it. Oh, well, hold on, let's pause. We choose to do it because if we don't, well, uh, some will be really disappointed. As soon as you say that, you can test your assumption. Well, son, come in here. We're thinking about the season, and we're just uh, we're just not sure if it's uh, you know if it's the the best use of our time and energy. We just want to see how you feel about that. And instantly he says, "Is uh, oh, that let me find that? No problem." He had no emotional connection to it. It wasn't something that he was looking forward to or that was painful to to, to leave. If we hadn't tested the assumption, we would have simply been at this for months and months, unaware that this was of low value to him. So that's an example of why saying I choose to is better than simply I have to. Yeah. Well, and I really love the, the, the second part of it, to be honest with you, I think is almost just as powerful, if not more powerful than the I choose to. because And then because if I don't, then blank, because I think that is when, you know, you, you talk a lot about how you, I forget the, the name of the lady who interviewed a lot of people before their deathbed and stuff like that and asked them their bigger, biggest regrets. But a lot of people talked about how they didn't live a life as aligned or in as close of alignment with who they are as they wanted to have kind of essentially. And yeah. I feel like that second part, because if I don't, will allow you hopefully like on your deathbed to not have as many regrets as you could potentially have, right? Yeah, I mean, that's right. That's a nice way of thinking about your decision making. If I don't do this, what is the proper consequence? What's the big, what, how will it affect me a week from now, a month from now, especially, you know, at the end of my life, will this thing matter? And, and once you start using that lens, you, you find that very long, playing the long game um, helps you to see that some things you think of as being quite trivial. Uh, are actually exceedingly important and some things you think are really important actually don't last you don't even need a an 80-year test they don't last 80 days um, I know that in, in I, I keep a, a journal and a planner pretty uh, consistently over the years and uh, one of the observations I have looking back now I was just a, an interview for a piece uh, in the New York Times and and it's all about the extraordinary um, power of mundane moments that, 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 that I was looking back and reading through my journals a few years later and found that lots of things I'd written I thought were important and they just didn't matter at all but the game I had played with one of my daughters I'd written in some detail and that just jumped off the page as being that, that this is what life is made of this is what matters mm. and yet how easy it is to think in the moment oh that's nothing you know, that's just, you know, this, that could happen any moment. That doesn't matter. There's so many other pressing things. And so I do think the long-term test is a good one for being able to assess the importance of a given activity. Yeah, no, and I love that example for sure. I feel like I can, I just had, <laughs> this is kind of a stupid example, but I just went on like, I just went on, a, went to dinner with one of my buddies last night and it was like awesome time, like spent more money than we would normally spend. And I know that that's probably something that I'm going to like remember down the road when 
normally I'm like, ah, oh, that's not that big of a deal. I got to work or got to put in an extra hour in or something like that. But um, I definitely think the importance of the mundane moments is, I think that's really cool. I got to, I want to read that, read that article in the times. Um, but I really like how you kind of, to back up a little bit, I really like how you frame the question that has made you so obsessed years after years after years, which is like, how do otherwise intelligent people get tricked by the trivial and don't realize the kind of the most important things. And one of the things that you had kind of pointed out in your book is that in our society, we're punished for good behavior or saying no as good behavior. And then we're rewarded for saying yes or rewarded for bad behavior. And that part, when I read it really like stopped me and I was like, wow, that's like a really good point. So I kind of want you to just riff on that idea and how that is kind of like how the society punish, punishing us for saying no and rewarding us for saying yes is kind of holding some of us back. Yeah, it's, it's, again, it's making decisions in the, in the short term. If you make a short term moment, you may simply say yes reactively to somebody or they've asked you or they want you to, or they're doing it and you want to you know, copy them, be like them, whatever. So you, you, you join, you say yes to something in the moment that feels good to you and to whoever's been asking you to do that thing but you know it's if it, it, lots of people can regret having said yes to something even five minutes later you know you regret it and, and certainly then you start getting into the project and you say what am i doing this is not the project i should be working on this doesn't feel like it and so it's trying to see that there's a trade-off in every yes yeah every time you say yes you're saying no to many other things so i think in essentialism there is a bias I think there is a bias for saying no, but it's not really even that. It's a bias for being aware of what you're saying no to every time you say yes. It's just recognizing that every decision, like you don't make a decision in a vacuum. A lot of people weigh something up by going, well, is this thing a good thing? Could this possibly be a good thing? And the answer is always yes to that, almost always yes to that. Yeah. And so, you, so you, you have a bias for just jumping in reactively and doing something. Uh, if, if, if you pause, um, if you pause, ask a question, if you pause and push back, if you pause and, and just say, oh, let, me, let me get back to you, uh, let me check my calendar and I'll get back to you on this issue. Uh, as, you, as you do that, what you find, people might not love that response. They might not be thrilled that that's your first response. But what you'll gain is longer term respect uh, so that so that you can come back to somebody and say, well, listen, this is what I think I can do this week. Or this is what I and suddenly you're negotiating. You're going to give them a better return. Um, you're going to give them good value. You're going to do something that's useful. But you're not going to be so reactive in the moment. Yeah, no, I think yeah, I think that's key. And so is that kind of what is being able to define why the what the reason is you're saying you're saying no is that what can help give people the courage and the strength to actually say no to others because uh, you know a lot of people don't want to say no because they're going to hurt the others feelings and they're the people pleaser type and so is the way that that person gets over that by having confidence as to what they're saying no to yeah i do think there's something to that i mean i think that if you if you go through your life or just even through your day uh, with without a plan for what is important. If you haven't taken the time to think about that, you'll simply be a function of other people's requests for you. Yeah. And the risk with that is that, that those people asking things for you um, have probably not prioritized um, themselves and they almost certainly haven't prioritized for you. <laughs> so they're just, you know, they have their agenda and that's fine. And they've got some of the, sometimes those, those requests come with almost no thought at all. I, I know sometimes I make requests of other people very reactively. You have an idea and the space between idea and the email being sent is almost nothing. You just think and it's done. And now, now you've made a request of somebody. Now something is in motion. Uh, if, if we get to the point that we're just reacting instantly to those things, uh, then, then we, we really lose a great deal of control in our lives. Um, I, I was, I just got an interesting email from, from a listener to, to the essentialism podcast, uh, and it was, uh, Joe, uh, uh, Davey from, uh, from England. 
And she wrote to me to say that every, since reading Essentialism, every day she started asking the question, you know, what is the most important thing I need to do today? Yeah. Uh, and that's it, a very simple question. Uh, at first, the answers that she got were mostly to do with work. Uh, over time, it became more self-preservation type of answers. And then one day in the midst of this ongoing habit, uh, she gets uh, a call from her dad saying, uh, look, you know, your mum's in the hospital. It's nothing serious. Don't worry about it. You know, everything can be fine. And you've got way too much on your plate to, 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 you know, to, to bother doing anything else. But it's just, it's all fine. Just wanted to let you know. And she said that as she asked that question, well, what's the most important thing I need to do today? Suddenly, the answer was really clear and different. It was, she says she remembers where she was, what the weather was like outside. Everything seemed to stand still as she knew that what the most important thing to do today was go to the two hour journey to the hospital uh, to be with her mother. She goes there, she talks to her, um, you, you know, I love you, mum. Mum uh, says the same thing back to her, I think it's gonna be okay. But within an hour from that, she'd fallen into a coma. And within a week of that, she, uh, you know, she unfortunately was you know, turning off the life support machine. Uh, and, and that was it. And she said, she said, you know, how different that moment could have been if she hadn't been aspiring to be an essentialist and asking that question that day. I think that's an example of the power of starting to really be thoughtful about what we say yes to and what we say no to. Wow. That's a heck of a story. And I unfortunately kind of felt it going that way, but I mean, wow, what a life changer that small little habit was for her um, in, in that way. And I, there's probably, you know, countless other stories that are similar to, to, to that one in, in ways that they have, it's changed her life and others' life. That's unbelievable. I'm like getting chills just thinking about it. But um, one of the things that you said uh, earlier on was how so many people sometimes make requests of others without having put much thought into it. And I know that I, I'm probably bad sometimes of doing that as well because I'm so action, like I have a bias for action. I'm just like, I don't want to make any excuses. I don't want to delay. I don't want to, I don't want to wait any longer. Let's just do it. And there are definitely some times where I'll make, I'll like email somebody or text somebody when like 24 hours later, I'm like, I'm not going to do that. Like, I don't need that. And so I think that like, like you said, I think that's another way that people can gain confidence in, in having the, the slow yes. Right. I think that's something that you say in your book, practice having a slow yes, because realize that the other person's request probably doesn't have that much or might not have that much thought behind it. Well, at least to ask, uh, at least to pause. I mean, you don't have to say no to everyone and everything without really thinking about it, but saying yes to everyone and everything without thinking about it uh, isn't a great strategy. Not if you want to optimize your overall contribution to the world. Uh, you, and, and that's what this is about. You, you, you either want to you know, you can either do very, very many things averagely well, or you can do a few things superbly well. And in order to be able to move into the few things doing, you know, superbly well, you have to be more thoughtful. Excuse me, you have to, you have to hold every request, every idea that you have yourself gently and a little slower. You've got to decide, is this thing really the very best use of me and of this moment that I have? Uh, and I think there's a few practices you can do to, to help with that. One is to schedule a personal quarterly offsite. Um, I just uh, held one for a couple of days, uh, starting maybe 10 days ago. And, uh, and, and that was like, I mean, I know it's only been 10 days, but it was like, to me, it's been a life-changing experience to, to really go deep about what is it that, what, what, what really matters uh, by, you know, it, it, from a very long-term perspective. By long-term perspective, I don't just mean 10 years. I don't even mean by end of life. I mean, like, imagine if you just sort of like a hundred year vision. And you say like a hundred years from now, I'm not going to be around, uh, but my, you know, my grandchildren will be, my great grandchildren will be, the generations after me will be, and, and I can make an impact to them. So who do I want to be now in order to, um, you know, make an impact for them that is, 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 positive and significant. And, and as you start to think about that deeper question or another question, who do I want to be? Uh, who, do, who are you and who do you want to become? Those are, those are deeper questions. Those are not, what am I gonna do today questions? 
But as you step back and look at the bigger picture and then start from that perspective to redesign what your dream routine would be like this week, what should my week look like every week? What's the idea? When should it start? When should it end? Uh, you know, what kinds of activities are the essential ones that I want to have in there and protect? All of that grows out of the clarity from this, uh, these, these bigger questions. Uh, following from there, there are some other really simple practices once a week. Uh, I just did it on Sunday. That's normally the day that I do it. And you're looking at the whole week now and you're trying to design this week. What are the most important things to have on it? Which things you know, can't I possibly fit in? It just can't be done right now. Which things came up last week that were unexpected that now I need to adjust the week and so on. And then doing this on a daily basis. Now this is, none of this is, uh, none of this is groundbreaking. Uh, but I think that uh, common sense like this doesn't make common practice. Uh, and, and I think there's lots of people listening to this, watching this, that might feel if they're honest, well, I don't really plan quarterly. I don't really do it. I don't have written goals. Are they written? Do they see them clearly? How confident are they that those are the right goals versus just a bunch of things I've heard other people do? Uh, do they take an hour or two on a weekend to, to design their week? Are they taking time at the beginning and end of their day to really make sure they're clear about what the most important thing is to do today? If they don't do those things, that's completely fine. Yeah, but it's predictable what will happen, and that is that their life will become a function of other people's decisions for them. That mm -hmm. uh, they'll they'll start to spend more and more time in social media than they used to. They'll spend more and more time doing doing actually quite trivial things, faster and faster, busier and more reactively, but really not actually moving them forward. And so, in the end, if you don't prioritize your life in the way I'm describing, you know, someone else will. Yeah, I love a I love a quote you either say in a talk or in your in your book that if you don't deliver deliberately design your day or deliberately design your life, then others gonna are gonna design it for you. And kind of along the same topic, um, I interviewed Nir Eyal, author of Indistractable, and he has a quote in there that says, um, "You can't call something a distraction unless you know what it's distracting you from." And that's I feel like kind of along the same lines. And to kind of back up a little bit, I know that. Quarantine and COVID gave me a great chance to kind of look at the bigger picture because I was here in Nashville. And then when quarantine happened, I decided to go home to Atlanta and stay with my parents for a little bit. And then when I came back, I had previously have, having previously having left, I was practicing my, my non-essentialist uh, behaviors and had like a lot of sticky notes everywhere, right? And then I came back and I look at these 20 sticky notes and I'm like, why the hell was I working on that? I was like, that was not important whatsoever. And so to kind of stay on this idea of like, we need to take the time to look at the bigger picture. We need to take the time of having a vision because that's what I talk about in terms of getting closer to the best version of yourself. You have to have a vision of what the best version of your, yourself looks like and what that person is capable of. And then that'll give you a framework for how to make certain choices as you go through life. What can you, but like you said, common, common sense isn't common practice. So what, is, what do you have to say to somebody to make them realize and make them actually take action on taking the time to implement these things? Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's an interesting question. I'm thinking about what you were saying about Nia. Nia's a, a friend of mine and a classmate of mine, actually. And, uh, and his, um, his first book was called Hook. And you know, that, that's, that's been you know, quoted really widely and deserves to be. And I think that that's what is it. I think that's what's at play, is to realize how hooked we are on, on various various things. I mean, he's particularly talking about in that book how to create, um, you know, products and services that hook the user. And 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 there's a good reason why you would want to study that if you're if you're a startup or a technology company, and and not only. Would it be a good idea? Lots of people have read that book. And lots of these people within these companies that I've done work with, Apple and Google and Twitter and Facebook and so on, have, have studied this in depth. And they have teams that are, are on the cutting edge of, of, of learning how to do this. And so they're testing it, you know, 
Zuckerberg talks about there's, there's really 10,000 Facebooks because they're constantly testing every different aspect to see what the behavior is from the end user. Uh, that's what you're up against. Mm -hmm. This is not neutral. The things that are really easy in your life right now are generally things people have created for you to be effortless. You know, fast food is super easy. It's not naturally easy. Someone built a system that's in their favor. You know, it makes them wealthy to make it easy for us to buy that product. And that's same for almost all the technology, including almost all of the news right now, is to try and make us believe this is the most important thing you could be doing right now, is listening to this, watching this, reading this. No matter what else you have to do, this is breaking news. Breaking news 20 times a day. Breaking news, when you click on it, ends up being, you know, often little more than gossip. So-and-so yeah. uh, tweeted about so-and-so who tweeted back this sentence that, this is what we're reading about. This isn't news. News is a deeper process. I mean, journalism was my undergraduate and news is about understanding something that's hidden. And so when we consume all of this stuff that's just been designed to grab our attention to, so that someone else gets paid, I mean, this, this is, you don't want to outsource your time and life to those forces. Yeah. You want to take control of it for yourself. You, you, you want to be able to say, what, what is it that I feel like I'm here to do? How can I turn down the noise? Maybe you have a social media fast for, for, for a week. You just say, no, zero, I'm not going to do any. Mm -hmm. I worked with an individual who, uh, when, I, when I worked with him, I was doing it as part of a, um, well, it was a TV thing that we were doing. Uh, when, I, when I spoke to him, he, he admitted to spending 14 to 18 hours a week on Instagram. Um, just, just think of it. I mean, this is like basically a part-time job. That, that, that's how much time he's spending. And it wasn't just even at night or, I don't know, in the unproductive hours. It was just all through the day. He was just, whatever else he was doing, the next thing he would do would be on his phone and be consumed with that. Uh, that. That is a lot of control to give to somebody else. And when he took control back, he ended up giving... Uh, his, 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 his passwords to, uh, to spouse and, and then uh, it, suddenly he was able to have this time left to build his business and he was able to spend that time building a business plan and I was able to help him a little with that and the, the trade-off's amazing so, so we this is essentialism it's about taking back control it's not a neutral world people are trying to influence us they're trying to control our time and energy and attention yeah. we, we're hooked to those things and this is about being unhooked this is about going, that isn't, that is not what I want to spend my time doing. I, even if I don't know what I should do instead, I don't want to be doing that. Even if what I get back is just space to be a little bored so I can think, so I can imagine, so I can dream something different, it's still a good trade-off to start making. Turn that stuff way down so you can turn up the voice that will actually guide you to something great. Yeah, no, I love that, and I and I like that you brought up the the journalism thing because that's part of the or one of the parts of the books that really stood out to me because it's and especially I feel like it's so timely because people do see something on the news and they react immediately without yeah. asking any further questions. Right? It's immediately there's kind of a reaction, and so and I really love like how the there's kind of a quote in the book I think of a, a journalist who talks about. It's about looking for what's not being said or hearing what's not being said, looking for the stuff on the periphery. So let's say that you pull up your phone and there's a, a news article, whatever it is, and you start to immediately jump to a conclusion. What's, what can I do to make sure that my conclusion is not immediately made up and I'm willing to at least ask a little bit further questions and figure out the what's missing and what's on the periphery. Do you mean specifically with learning about news? Is that specifically, or just what do you do with this addictive environment with, uh, where, where news is trying to tell us this is the most important thing? That's what, uh, just, just in general, in general, like w what can we do to make sure that we're not so quick to not take a deeper dive in, into whatever it is that we're getting information on? 
Whether, I mean, it could be, and it could be, it could be another individual, right? It could be judging somebody at the surface and like, what can I do to make sure I'm not completely jumping to a conclusion to who that person is. And I'm taking a step back and be like, okay, I need to actually look at what's on the periphery here. Yeah. We're entering a, um, as I see it, a dangerous, uh, season. And I, I think the stakes are as high as they can, they can be because because of all of these factors we've just been talking about about the technology addictions on the one hand and then the invisible um uh, you know algorithms underneath them that are being shaped by our behavior that you know, that they were originally designed in a sense to be useful oh you're interested in this well i'll give you better information uh but what really is happening is that we're getting more and more biased information and we don't know it. We're, 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 it's invisible to us. We're just, we're just, you know, we're just going on Google again. We're just going on social media again. No, the more we click on certain things, the more information we're getting. The polarization of information is happening really fast. And also we're really unaware of it happening. It's a seamless process. And so we do have, the, the adding really fast um, this this greater and greater contention and and conflict between people and all conflict begets conflict I mean that's that's what when you study human systems and that's been my sort of interest and passion for these you know 25 years and um, when you study them I mean that's one of the things that's an int- curious factor. I haven't, I haven't written, I didn't write about it in essentialism, but even in the book I've just finished writing, but in the, in the next book, I think I will write more about this. Uh, but, but so the conflict begets conflict. Yeah. We are seeing that ramp up very quickly. So you suddenly are not just saying, well, the other side has a different opinion to me. You're saying the other side are really bad. No, that's not even nearly what we're saying. We're saying the other side are dangerous there's so many books and, and articles and, and points of view that talk like this. The other side is dangerous. They don't even know how dangerous they are. Therefore, if they're dangerous, if my enemy is dangerous, I have the, the right to act in more and more extreme ways, which of course reinforce the signals that to each other that the other side is more and more dangerous. And I mean, I, I was just talking to one of my bestseller, uh, best-selling author, um, a best-selling author who's, who's very respected and, and I certainly respect him. And I, and I said in passing to him, I said, I think that you know, if we're not careful, we're going to be on the, you know, the edge of civil war. And I'd never, I'd never really felt that. Um, and, and her response, she's such a reasoned, reasonable person. And she just was like, yeah, I've been thinking about that really seriously for the last three years. Um, I, she said, she said, I was actually talking to my financial advisor about it three, like three years ago saying, look, what happens if we do? How, what do we do? And they were like, oh, dismiss it. Well, it's fine. But um, something has to something has to change to to turn down that reactive cycle. Otherwise, actually, that is what happens. You you go from a higher and higher temperature, and you think you're being reasonable because you're just reacting. You're just responding to a more and more unreasonable foe. Yeah, but but you push yourselves into these corners at the extremity, and and this is how wars happen. So, so you you know, and it's not obvious which forces are going to counterweigh these natural, um, uh, you, you know, um, you know, awfulness that uh, that we're seeing right now on the individual basis. And answering your question now directly, on the individual basis, it's about listening. Yeah. And it's about the, the immutable power of listening. It is, it's not a soft skill. It's not a weak skill. It's not a peripheral skill. It's not an afterthought. It's the most important human skill there is. Uh, it's, it's, it's a superpower. Uh, it's not bland. It's not after the fact. It's, uh, it's the, the very thing we need. Uh, and so, uh, it's it's talking to that person who completely disagrees with you, and it's it's asking honest questions that you don't know the answer to. Uh, it's really listening, assuming there is humanity, and that they have positions based on humanity 
uh, even if they're not the ones you have listening, I think is the key for other people. It's also the key for ourselves to pause and listen to the quiet voice inside instead of just all of the noisy, angry voices outside. Yeah. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more with, I mean, a lot of the things that you said. What's the the new Netflix documentary on the uh, yeah. on what you were kind of talking about? I think it's The Social Dilemma, I think. Yeah, Social it. Dilemma. That's what it is. That's yeah. what it is. But yeah. Um, but I, I, lo- I love how you rounded it out with saying, I think listening as a as an individual, that's the responsibility that you can take for it, is be willing to listen, be willing to actually take a step back and not react and and hear the other people out and, and actually get the full peripheral information, if you will. But kind of to, to stay, take a step back out of that to kind of go into a little bit more of kind of essentialism and, and a little bit more of your work there. You talk about kind of how there's four stages of sometimes individuals and sometimes companies where they start off focused and then they become successful and then they have a bunch of options and opportunities and then chaos can potentially ensue afterwards. And you talk about how success, or I think you quoted a, a Bill Gates in, in one of the things that I watched, that success is a poor teacher. A lot of times, and one of the things that you're fascinated by is a lot of studies and a lot of books and a lot of classes teach you how to be successful, but they don't teach you how to stay successful. And so I kind of want you to just riff on this idea of how when somebody becomes successful, what do they need to make sure that they do? I mean, I I know that's kind of a bigger question, like the whole topic of your book, but what do they need to make sure they do in order to not let the opportunities lead to chaos? Yeah, it's, you know, this pattern, I call it the paradox of success. And, and it's a human phenomenon. Um, so it happens at lots of levels, right? It could happen at the societal level. Um, a society, I, in fact, I would argue that's what exactly what we're going through right now is it, 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 we're, we're in the most successful time in history. And that's not contradictory to what I've just said. It might be a paradox, but it's, it's still true. It might sound like I'm contradicting myself, but both are true. Uh, and they're two sides of the same of the same phenomenon, we have this massive increase of optionality that's happened, right? If, if, if to be born today is to be born into literally, and not literally infinite, but really close to and approximating infinite options. You can learn almost anything and for free, basically. You can, you can, I mean, literacy rates are higher now than they've ever been before. The chance of dying in a war far lower now than at any time before. Uh, you know, t- chance of being born in democracy far greater now than at any time before. I mean, there's so many factors that say we are living in a time of great success. But with times of great success come excess. Come, um, come. Yeah. Our old responses are no longer fit for the new challenge, and so. You know, just just even what we're talking about, there's the navigation of, of, of explosion of information. There's so much more available and so much faster and at our fingertips. And the, and the automation of information is, is itself has tremendous upsides and possibilities, but we are not yet skilled at handling that expansion of options. Uh, Peter Drucker makes the observation, you know, and this was this was pre- you know, this is pre-Google, this is pre, I mean, think of that, just pre-search in the way we know, pretty much pre-internet, but he just said for the first time uh, in basically human history, there's this exponential increase of choices, and therefore we're going to have to manage ourselves, and he says a little, um, I don't know, a, a little, a little warning, he says, and society is totally unprepared for it, and that's exactly where we find ourselves. So there's been this massive increase in opportunity and options, and we are still operating in some, you know, former version of ourselves. So we, we, as a result, we see stress increasing. As a result, we find ourselves you know, in decision fatigue, in information overload, in opinion overload. And this is this is we, why we see this massive increase of anxiety, and it's this. All of these are problems of success. What do you do about it? You become an essentialist. You become far, far, far more selective. Yeah, we're not talking about a five percent increase because there's not been a five percent increase in options. 
you, you must become the most extreme selective person you probably have ever met wow. to even stand a chance. You, you want to say, look, I'm just not going to news. So let's just not do news for a week. And if you think that's crazy, just go back and read the news from a week ago and see how important it, the information actually is. Not how important it seemed, but how important it really is. Fast from all of this. You can you could stop you could stop reading the, the, the news, certainly in a in a digital format, I think for a month with no negative consequences whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, if, if you want to still be in touch, there's many publications that can be delivered to you that at least won't change based upon which article you read today. Yeah. So you have a, a slightly better chance of being being more broadly informed uh, and, and not so rabid in your in your consumption. Uh, so, so I think that it all comes back to the, to the individual must feel more empowered to be more selective about what things you actually give your attention to. And I'm saying like 90% of the stuff we give attention to is actually trivial. Yeah. Uh, so we need to be looking for just those 10% of things that we know. That stuff we know matters. High confidence level. Just try and cut out and silence the rest of it. So you have a, a prayer of a chance of being able to, uh, to get still, uh, to get discernment, and to, and to feel that you are being led in your life, not by all the voices outside, but like Bronnie Ware, the Australian nurse that you were mentioning before, it's the internal voice of clarity that we're actually listening to and being guided by. Yeah, I love that. Um, and I love how you ended that. I, I always talk about how the individual needs to define success for themselves. And some, one thing you've said is how we need to make sure that we're moving forward in life, listening to the inside voice rather than the outside voice. Don't listen to what outside voices kind of define as success and don't listen to the outside voices tell you what choices you have to make like you define it for yourself listen to the inside voice and be super selective rather than listen to what these other five people have varying opinions of and about um but i love that but getting down here uh close to the end uh greg so i think that kind of how i mentioned earlier in order to get close to the best version of yourself it's really important to try to gain clarity and kind of Try, try to gain a vision of what that person looks like, what that person is capable of. And so a question that I asked myself for the first time about a year ago that was really uh, impactful for me is the question that I'm getting ready to ask you is, is there a particular skill or piece of knowledge that the best version of yourself has that you don't currently have? So you're saying there's a future version of me that has become like a 2.0 version of me and and is it's now consumed with some strength some benefit some wisdom that's beyond my current version but i i need to have in the future and i hope to have in the future that's right well said yeah i think that um i think patience would be uh, would be one of the characteristics uh, i i think i I've tended to say, well, my impatience is probably just a you know, slight over eagerness. You know, I'd like to, to, to have a positive spin on it. Uh, but, but impatience, and I don't mean screaming at people. I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm not screaming at anybody. Um, but just being, uh, I, I looked at a picture of myself a while back, like I mean, within the last few weeks, we were just looking through family history pictures and you know pictures of when the children were younger. And I saw this one picture, or maybe it was a little video. I can't remember now. But I had this distinction, distinct feeling of like, you know what? What is important in that picture? There's a picture of me and my son when he was little, I think. And and I remember that looking at it, knowing he is what matters. But we were living in a much more house in an earlier time in our life, and I remember how impatient I felt at that time. Oh, I gotta get going, I gotta get on, I want to achieve certain things in life. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to achieve, but what I would want to say to that person going back is, it's all gonna work out. So just enjoy it, relax into it. You don't, you don't need to force anything. And I think that's the future you know, 
2.0 version that you're asking me to reflect on would want to say that to me now. It's just relax. This is it. You, you, you're doing it. You're living it. The things that you want will come to pass in due course. Mm. There's no need to spin your wheels on this. In fact, that might slow it all down and you certainly miss the things that matter most. Yeah. So just be present, be there, be in this moment, enjoy this time uh, because, because the rest is going to happen in a sense on its own. Yeah, you, so you can actually sit there and enjoy the mundane moments, right? That's it. <laughs> yeah, love it. I love it. I think that's definitely a, uh, a skill that all of us need to continually work on, and it's definitely a, a work in progress. But like you said, I think being able to look at your look at yourself and say it's it, it'll work out okay. It'll all be okay. Um, I think I think that's really powerful. Well, before I ask the last question, Greg, I want to acknowledge you for being able to make that decision back in in 1999 to empower yourself to be able to choose what was kind of your what you felt as your highest calling if you will what you were determined to do and and what you could kind of provide to the world uh and i think that was really really great for you to be able to take that leap of faith and then i love the story that you tell that we didn't we didn't get to of how when you realized when you went to work rather than staying in the hospital with your your wife and the, your newborn child i think for you to be able to kind of you have that as a reflection point and kind of as a fork in a road and be able to make the decision to start really becoming the essentialist and start really focusing on in on what matters most i think that's uh, it's been your life's work and it's been so powerful for so many and i love the story that you told today about um, that girl out, out in England and how it's made such a big impact on her. But love your work, and I'm excited to see what you what you got coming next. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. Well, I know everybody's going to want to go learn more about you, so you guys make sure you go to gregmcewen.com, which is G-R-E-G-M-C-K-E-O-W-N.com. You can follow him on Instagram at and Twitter at Gregory McEwen. Go listen to the Essentialism podcast as well, just some amazing guests uh, on there and more more great information like this. Make sure you go get his Essentialism book and be on the lookout for his new book that will be announced here relatively soon. I guess I know I'm pumped I'm pumped to hear about it and, pu- and pumped to get it. But last question here, Greg, is I know that getting closer to the best version of yourself is a constant journey and I think it's a unique journey as well. I think the way that I get closer to the best version of myself is going to be a little bit different than the way that you get closer to the best version of yourself. So for you personally... If there are three things that you can currently do or currently work on to get closer to that best version of Greg McEwen that you could possibly be, what are those three things that you could currently do or work on? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the first thing is probably counter-cultural, uh, maybe somewhat counter-cultural to the, to the general guidance that would come with, uh, you know, your best you type thinking. And, and that is to... And that is to let my my agenda get swallowed up with an agenda that's bigger than me. You know, I, I don't think you're just supposed to design your life. I think you're supposed to discern it. You know, I, my my worldview includes um, it includes faith and includes a a strong conviction that you know I I came here for purpose and it was made for purpose. And I a big part of life is to discern that. And to do that takes a certain, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think of myself as being especially humble, but it takes humility to discover it. So maybe more humility necessary because you're, you're saying, look, it's not my agenda. It's not other people's agenda for me either, but it's not just, well, I want this. And so therefore I'm going to get it. It's, it's figuring out what the right pursuit is uh and so that's that's i think is the is the first thing uh i think the second thing is to is to you know is to look uh is to look for was to take time every day uh, and i'm doing that now um really in the in the very best wisdom literature so you know for me that scripture and it's just spending more time there so that again you have a vision of your life that's more than just yourself and more than your optimized version of you it's uh it's it's holding yourself up to uh to you know the what what a perfect person would look like 
and how you might act and behave. Um, and so I think, I think a third thing would be to, to, to just be in this daily process of, well, to use a, it's a scriptural term, but to re repentance uh, comes from the, 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 the original translation of that word comes from a word called metanoia. And it means to see yourself, other people in the world with new eyes. And so to, to go through that kind of daily discipline uh, where you're saying, how can I do better and be better? Um, not, not how other people define it, not, not how, not in terms of money or power or fame or those kinds of, I think, very surface, certainly secondary forms of success, but in the, in the primary way, you know, just to, just to do better and to be better. I've got miles and miles to go uh, on that journey, uh, and uh, but it's an it's an act of genuine uh, desire for me. Yeah, I love it. Well, three great things, and the first one I the first one I in particular really love because one of the things that I heard from from one of my guests, uh, Stephen M R Covey, talked about how getting closer to the best version of yourself is a process of creation and detection, and I think that's kind of essentially what you alluded to in in regards to discernment and having other things fill in your agenda. And I think that's something I personally needed to hear because I'm getting better and better at being closer to an essentialist, but sometimes like you have to be okay with other things getting in because they actually could be better for you than whatever you had planned. But anyways. Yeah, I think so. Three great, three great things. I appreciate your time, Greg. Thanks so much. Bye for now. There you have it. Such a special episode with Greg. I mean, this principle of essentialism is something that we all need to be reminded of on a daily basis. Because as Greg said, we live in the day of greatest success in history. Meaning we also have more and more options, choices, opportunities, and decisions than ever before. So while this is great, it also leads to anxiety, depression, and so much more that is harmful to us. So how do we take responsibility for not letting this abundance of choice get the best of us? We become an essentialist. Be sure to share this episode with a friend or family member who you think would get a lot and be inspired by it. Share it with a friend who you know is trying to, to be more and more focused on the most important things in their life because this is going to be a huge game changer for them. Just send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast and they can get the audio, the YouTube video, and the show notes. Remember to ask yourself at the beginning of every single day, what's the most important thing that I need to do today? It was a life-changing question for his listener in England. It might just have the power to be a life-changing question for you too. Remember to listen to others, to not jump to conclusions immediately. Don't jump to conclusions too quickly because a deeper dive is likely to reveal things that you didn't realize on the surface. But for now, it's time. It's time to take action. It's time to be on the disciplined pursuit of less but better because that's what's going to help you get closer and closer to your best you.